Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, but today, uh, I, I'm kind of in this spot. You know, two weeks in Israel. Monday night, I come back. I fly into CVG about 630, and my family's there, and it caps off about a 20-hour travel day. And at this point, I've been up for about 45 hours because... Why nap when you're in Jerusalem, right? And, uh, and so I'm there, and, and uh, I'm trying to process all this, and I have, I have so much that I want to share with you, you know? But I don't want to turn this into like, hey, look at my vacation picture time, right? I don't want to do that. And so, so I want to limit that. I want to show just a few things and, and kind of realize that this is going to inform my teaching and my leadership and, and who I am as a dad and as a man, as a husband, and all the, all the things. And so, so, so you'll have to bear with me, because you'll get tired of hearing me say, when I was in Israel, you'll get tired of hearing the stories and, and pictures, but I'm going to share them, because this is part of who I am, where, where I'm at. So one of the days we go to Nazareth, Nazareth, the, the hometown of Jesus, the hometown of Joseph and Mary. And in Nazareth, there was, there was one water source at the time of Jesus, at the time of Joseph, Joseph and Mary. There's one spring. And we don't know for sure when, when Mary gets the news that she's going to have a baby and they're going to call him Jesus because he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. We don't know where that happens, but what we do see is that, is that at a well, man, Mary's going to interact with people. She's going to interact with people and she's going to experience shame and, and, and all the judgment and condemnation that comes with appearing to have a child out of wedlock. I've got a couple of pictures here. This is where we're at that well, that first well. That's our group. And at the next picture here, you'll see uh, the well itself. This is kind of a shrine that's built up. This is referred to as Mary's well. And if, if you notice, the, the well is dry. Uh, the well is dry because in the next picture, you'll see at the, the kind of the crypt, the basement of this Orthodox church, the Church of the Annunciation, you can see right there by the grate to the left of it, there's water. And the water is rushing through there, and you can hear it. And I remember when our guide told us, for years, for centuries, pilgrims had come to the well, they would drink and partake, and they would be at Mary's well, and they would pray there, and there's almost a shrine that's established there. But the church realized that people weren't coming into the church, and their offerings weren't coming into the church, so they diverted the well, and the water was now inside of that church. And there was kind of this collective groan amongst those 20 pastors there, you know, us in our baseball caps and cargo shorts sitting there, these bunch of, bunch of American pastors kind of taking this all in. And we immediately kind of groaned because, not because it's, it's something I can't believe the church would do that, but I can see us doing that. And it was like this larger metaphor just opened up right in front of us, this idea that, that the living water, the, the, the experiencing Jesus, the Spirit of God, is something that is not bound by space, not bound by time, and certainly not bound by an environment like this on a Sunday morning. But so often our words, and whether it be implicitly or our actions and our explicit words, whatever it might be, we associate, we tell people, we communicate, hey, if you want to experience Jesus, you've got to show up here for an hour on Sunday. And if you miss it, you miss it. And of course that's not true. What we see is that, that Jesus is present everywhere. 
through the spiritual practices like, like prayer and reading Scripture and fasting and finding community and serving and generosity and extending forgiveness and accepting forgiveness and seeking out truth and wisdom. And in the non-spiritual practices of every day, of raising kids, of, of being in the midst of work and our vocation and all the things, Jesus is present in that. And so this idea that we say, like, well, you've got to come to church is, is false on its head. And so today we kick off a series called The Invitation. And spoiler alert, one of the challenges is to get us to invite people to church. So knowing this in Israel, knowing this is what we're going to be talking about when I get back, I'm standing there at the, the well and thinking to myself, am I just doing what this church had done? I was essentially communicating, saying, if you want the water of life, if you want to experience Jesus, come to this building and drop some money in the box. And, and it was this moment of clarity for me where I had to kind of step back and say, all right, what, what, what's, what's really going on here? Because let me be clear. Let me say some things that are obvious and known to anyone who's been here more than five minutes. This is not a perfect church. We don't have this figured out. We are not somehow uh, at this place where we can kind of have everything clicking. There are better churches than this. And, and in fact, I would say this, is that our church has a mission. Our mission is to say that we are supposed to be helping people find and follow Jesus, right? This is our mission. This is the hill we're dying on. If that is not happening in your life, something needs to change. You know, perhaps something needs to change is something in, in your life. Because I know in my life, there have been numerous times where I've ignored the call and the word and the leading and the challenge of Jesus. There have been tons of times where I have willingly gone into things that I know aren't good for me, that I know are drawing me away from God all the time. I'll do that again. Like I've said things I know they're going to hurt people. I have taken the easy path. I've, I've just let something go. I've explained something away. I do that, right? We do that all the time. But I also know this, that those times when I'm responding to Jesus, those are better times. And so maybe something in you, something in me needs to change, or maybe something as a church we need to change if we are not accomplishing that mission. And so is this the only place you can connect with God? No. Is this the only place you can follow Jesus? Of course not. What this is, is our best attempt. This is our best attempt. And all the, the brokenness and the, 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 the challenge of it and trying to figure out, there, there's nothing, nothing holy and sacred about donuts and coffee. There's nothing holy and sacred about having, to, having a space for your kids. But what we're trying to do is create an environment where we can experience God together, where we can help one another follow Jesus and push one another forward. So yes, I think you should invite people to this church because I think this is a great place for them to be helped in their journey of following Jesus or to discover Jesus for the first time. But, I don't want to be that church in Nazareth that says this is the only way you can come here. This is the only way you can connect with what's going on here. So, as we go into this, this story, this series called The Invitation, and as we talk about these challenges, there's two things that I think are going to happen. There are two things that I want to happen. Number one, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope in these next three weeks, you'll see some of those invitations that Jesus extends you'll see the way in which Jesus invites us in. You'll see why so many of us and why people by the millions and billions throughout history and throughout the world are following this Jesus. That, that's my hope for you if you're in that spot. My hope for you if you're in the spot where you say, I am a follower of Jesus, I want you to see how you are a part of this. 
I want you to come to the end of this and say, I am a participant, I'm not just a spectator, and I have to be helping other people. I want you to own that mission, not for church attendance, but so people can find and follow Jesus. So we're not the best church. We're not the, the church that has it all figured out. But this series, this invitation, it's not about attendance. It's not about offering and meeting some sort of level of financial income. It's not about adding a second worship service at some point in the future. It's not about, about getting enough teenagers to start a, a really growing and, and healthy student ministry. It's about the simple fact that there are people in my life and in your life who are not following Jesus. That, that if we believe that following Jesus is better, we believe that following Jesus is the only way truly forward in life, then it should bother us that there are people in our lives who aren't following Jesus. That, that if we have this, this new perspective on life and what, what it means for mission and purpose as a, as a community, as individuals, and we see other people lacking that, that should bother us. If we have experienced grace and love and forgiveness and we know that others have it, this should bother us. If in the midst of the mess of our lives, our failures, our tragedies, our rock-bottom moments, we have found and are finding comfort, encouragement, and the ability to get back up, that had nothing to do with our own willpower or discipline, and we see people that don't have that, that are going it alone, this should bother us. We aren't arrogant. Don't hear that. We're fully aware of our mistakes. We're fully aware of our shortcomings. We're fully aware of our limitations. Our lives are not easy. They're not pain-free. We just see our lives as part of God's family. So we reach out. We pray for, we encourage, we challenge, we try to love and invite others into this life. We, not because we need to reach some sort of numerical goal, but because we believe following Jesus is better. So how do we do this? How in the world do we navigate those, those awkward moments and awkward conversations? I have them all the time. Hi, I'm Josh. Uh, back and forth, back and forth. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Okay, nice to see you. Yeah, okay. I'm good. You know, I'm weird enough already, right? I'm awkward enough. I had those moments, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll even find myself like, oh, I'm inviting them to like, come hear me give a sermon. It's like kind of odd, like, hey, come see what I do for a living, right? It's kind of that weird inter interplay. But there's this point where we have to have that conversation if we're truly owning the mission. So what we see in the Gospels, what we see in these accounts of Jesus, are these moments where invitations are extended. And what I want us to do is to sit with these and begin to think about how are we, this person in this story, being invited in. So we're going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is towards the back of your Bible. It'll be up on the screen here in a minute. This is one of the, one of the Gospels, one of the accounts of Jesus. In John chapter 4, we kind of have this, this travel story, okay? In John chapter 4, we see Jesus traveling with his disciples from Jerusalem in the south, north back to the Sea of Galilee, back to the Galilee area, area where he lives. And on this journey, they're going to pass through an area called Samaria. Now, Samaria was not just a, just a spot on a map. It was loaded with all these notions of this is somebody that's foreign. This is somebody we don't associate with. This is an enemy. And they're approaching this town, and Jesus kind of sits down at the edge of a well. And I almost imagine like that moment where if you've been with your family on a road trip or a bunch of buddies on a road trip, and there's just kind of those moments you're like, I'm going to be here, you go over there. Like, I need a moment to myself, right? And so Jesus sends his, his disciples over to buy some food. 
says, going to town, take care of this. I'm going to sit here. I think that was part of it, but of course Jesus has more going on as well. So it's noon, it's kind of the, the middle of the day, and, and at this part of the world, it's dry, it's arid. Towns are built up around springs and subsequent wells. This is a place where, where water is at a premium. When I was over there, the, the temperature was regularly in the hundred and teens. It was, it was oppressive heat. It was dangerous heat. And so he's sitting there, and he's at the well, and a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Now, if we were in this context, we would know immediately this is weird. A Samaritan woman, a solitary woman, is coming in the middle of the day to draw water. If I'm going to drink some water, I want ice. I want it cold. And the only way you're going to get cold water from a well is in the morning. And so here she comes in the middle of the day when it's the hottest, would be the hardest to carry this water. This woman, I think, is trying to avoid contact with other people. And look what happens. John chapter 4, verse 7 and 9. It says this, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This woman is surprised. She's realizing there's this gulf, there's this distance between them. There's, there's a hatred going on. Something similar is, is going on today over there in terms of the political divisions. You know, in what is modern-day Samaria is now Palestine. It is kind of behind the walls. It is behind the checkpoints. It is something separate altogether. In that day of Jesus and today, a Jew would not just freely go in there. They would avoid this area like the plague. This is something that's unusual that Jesus is there. Kind of the division is so strong between these two groups. There's kind of this, this uh, literal translation of what she says about Jews not associating with Samaritans and vice versa. What she's saying is that they don't even drink out of the same cups. Like, like, like if we're eating together, this would not be a mixed group. If we're going to share something together, this not, would not be together. And there they are at a well, in the middle of this desert, this oppressive heat. And she's saying, I can't even serve you water from this well. We can't even share a same drink from this well. So Jesus had all the reasons to overlook this woman. And what does he do? He asked her for a drink. He asked to drink from the same vessel she drinks from. And she questions him. She kind of she puts up the defenses and says all the arguments about how there's division. And Jesus goes on in verses 10 through 12 and then 13 through 15. She, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would, have, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water we know what it's like to be thirsty literally and metaphorically we know what it's like when we want something and we feel like this urge that we, we have to return to it maybe it's maybe it's kind of one of those things that's kind of an escape for you maybe it's a good hobby or maybe it's not something that's very productive of your time maybe it's maybe for you it's uh, it's just kind of pouring yourself into work when things are kind of going wrong, when things are kind of a mess, where relationships are fraught, what do we do? Maybe we pour ourselves into work. Or maybe we jump on Amazon and we, we look at the latest things that we want to buy, or we, we literally go shopping. We kind of want to take a moment and we say, man, my, my, my phone is a year old, I need to upgrade. Or I saw someone have this new thing and I want to go pursue that. Maybe for you it's, it's entertainment or pleasure. Maybe you just want to plow through another season on Netflix. And they ask, are you still there? And you're like, yes, I am. Let's hit play again. 
Maybe for you, it's just kind of the, the collection of things. It's that accumulation of belongings. My kids are in this stage right now where they are pack rats. It is, it is weird and hilarious all at the same time. They have boxes, and they carry things around. They put it in the backpack, and they never get things out of the backpack to play with, but they want to have their stuff with them. In a moment, we're going to learn this Samaritan woman that maybe the thing that she's pouring herself into are romantic relationships. Yet Jesus says, if you keep drinking from the same well, you'll get thirsty again. And then he extends an invitation. He says, come and try me. Experience me. Take and drink of this. He says, a relation with me is like living water. Once you find me, you'll never thirst again. And I love what happens next in John 4, verse 16. He tells her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. It starts to make sense why this woman would show up by herself at this well at noontime in the heat of the day. She would lug a a jar or some sort of piece of pottery to go get the water, and and she would bring the water up by herself through through a bucket of this kind of leather, leather pouch thing they would bring up to gather water and they put it back in that pottery jar and they'd walk home and the heat of the day i think that there was probably times at that well where someone said hey what's what's new with you she says well i met another guy and everyone just kind of rolled their eyes or they make that comment oh i thought you were with so-and-so oh that didn't work out and it's kind of the scarlet letter she's carrying. It's the shame that she has that, that she has been coming here. And I think it's gotten to the point after five husbands and the man she's with isn't her husband, number six. She's gotten to this point where she says, I'm just going to avoid other people. I'm just going to isolate myself because people are dangerous. It makes me wonder about the people that I've written off. I think about the neighbors. I say, well, they, they're doing pretty good. You know, they don't... They don't I don't want to make things weird and talk about Jesus with them. I get to borrow their lawnmower, you know? I don't want to make things weird. They let my dog out when I'm on vacation. I don't want to make things weird. I don't want to have that weird conversation and then have to awkwardly wave at them every time I see them out and see them turn around and walk away. I don't want to to complicate that relationship. They're doing pretty well. Maybe they don't even need. They're doing well without Jesus on their own. But Jesus doesn't write anyone off, does he? He's always pursuing someone. He's always looking and finding that moment to extend an invitation. I would hope that many of you brushed your teeth this morning, right? And it was kind of this automatic thing. It's just something you do. It's a habit. But there are cues to this habit. You wake up, you go to the bathroom, you get a shower maybe, you brush your teeth. At night... Before you go to bed, you brush your teeth. You just know, I'm going to go to bed, so I brush my teeth. There's this book called The Power of Habit. And so often I think about ways in which to improve myself and discipline and productivity and all the things that we all chase after. And I think about what are the things, how am I going to establish some good habits? How am I going to establish some really healthy habits and be strict about them and be faithful to them? Well, in this book, it's it's a great book. He, He talks about the brain science of not just forcing yourself to do something repetitively, but looking for cues that will set you off and say, I need to do this because I see this. And I think when we're thinking about inviting somebody to church, we're thinking about reaching out to someone to have a conversation about Jesus, I think we have to be aware that we can't just force this. It's, hi, my name's Josh. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You don't you don't do that, right? It's not effective. It's awkward. It's not being a good neighbor. There has to be a relationship built up there, right? There has to be, it's beyond drive-by evangelism, right? You have to find a way to connect. 
And I think there are four cues that I think are really important, and they'll be on the screen. We'll leave them on the screen. I, I'd encourage you to internalize this, to maybe make a note in your phone, take a picture, uh, and they'll be up there as well. But these are cues that I think are key to developing a habit and kind of giving us a pathway into those conversations. There are, so there are four cues that we need to be looking for. The first is this. Something is changing. There are those people who face a new life circumstance. Something is different. They're in new territory. This could be empty nesters. This could be people getting married or those who have kids or maybe have had kids for the first time and they're exhausted and they're just trying to figure things out and maybe, they've, maybe they're recently divorced or they're starting a new job. Maybe, maybe they're in this place where they're totally new and we see something happen. This can be a cue for us to invite them. I don't know about you, but, but being connected to a church community has been huge for me as a parent, as a husband, as a man, as someone who's a leader, as someone who's, who's in the world, it, it has built relationships and all those things. And I can think back to those times when something was new. We brought a baby home for the first time. We bought a new house when we, when we moved. And I think about all the ways in which, all the ways in which a church community was there for me. I needed that. I would imagine there's some truth in your story as well. There's some resonance there. And you think, okay, when I'm in those situations, this could be an opportunity. The second cue is this, is that maybe something is breaking. This is when someone's life isn't going well. When we've been there, we've wrestled with, with kids who are rebellious or doing self-destructive things. We, we've experienced health issues or marriage conflict or relationship conflict in general, a, a problem with work or finances or whatever it might be. Physical health, mental health, spiritual health, all of those things. We never want to go through that season. We never want to see people going, that we, going through that that we care about. But it happens. I think it should be a cue for us as followers of Jesus to offer encouragement and support. Not to say, hey, if you come to church, all of this will be fine. All you have to do is look at my life. Look how great things are going for me. No, that's not what we're saying. But to be able to say, hey, you're not alone in this. You're not alone in this. Maybe you should come and sit with me at church. Because I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I know that challenge. I know that pain. And church has been something for me that's been huge. The third cue is maybe something is missing. So it's that dissatisfaction, that, that frustration with life. I, I think so often to the times where in my past I've looked at my, my, my job and my, my path, and you have the conversations with bosses who say, where do you want to see yourself in five years? And there were times where I said, not here. You know? I, I am confident about this. What I'm doing right now, I don't want to be doing this in five years. I want to be doing it today. And I think about those times where, where something is missing. You feel like you're, you're just kind of, you're kind of lost. You're kind of untethered. And, and those conversations will come up all the time. It'll, it'll generally be, someone will ask you a question about your job and your life stage. They'll say, well, what did you do when? And immediately you can see that they are seeking and searching for something. And I think that's a perfect cue to say, hey, you know what's been really helpful for me? Just being around other people. Being around other people that have this idea of mission and purpose that's larger than ourselves, that's, that's just kind of beyond that, and we don't have all the answers, and man, the music's kind of lame sometimes, or the sermons go too long, but man, it's something about coming together in that community with other people who are in that same spot. I'd love for you to try church with me, and I'll even buy lunch. That's a key, key little ad there. The fourth cue that I think is really important is that we can say that something is stirring, there's kind of this, this, this stirring that's going on. And this is kind of more about you than what's going on in their life. There have been times where, and I'm not one of, those, one of those people that throws around the phrase, God told me. 
Because honestly, in my life, there have been very few moments where I felt very confident, not as an audible voice, but very confident in a specific moment, in a specific circumstance where I was supposed to do or say something. But I better pay attention to that. Where you just kind of sense, man, I, there's something else going on here. And you, I've even done this for us. I say, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to cause offense. But do you have a church home? If you, if you don't, I, I'd love for you to come check our church out. Just be a part of that. Not because we have all the answers or it's going to fix everything. But I just, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. I just sense that that's something I'm supposed to tell you. When, when something is stirring, I think we have to pay attention to that. We have to be aware of this. And maybe you've heard these stats before, but about half, about half of all people who don't go to the church say they would be responsive if someone they knew Someone they're in a relationship with came to them and invited them to church. About half of those people said, yeah, I would, I would respond to that. I think so often we, we assume that if we make that ask, if we extend that invitation in the context of relationship, that it's going to break the relationship. But I think about all the times I've sat through a conversation with a friend of mine who cared deeply about something, and I didn't care at all about it. I, I don't care at all what you're talking about, but because you care about it, because you're my friend, I'm going to listen to this. And I would hope that, that following Jesus in the context of movement church and being a part of this community is important to you. And so if this, if this is something you have found resonance in, then, then of course you would want to share that. And if you have friends, of course they would be open to listening to that. So 50% would say yes if they were invited. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. The challenge is not, <coughs> excuse me. The challenge is not for you to go out and start knocking on doors. The challenge is not for you to go and kind of force these conversations. The challenge is this, to pray for three people. And kind of on the in, inner part of the aisles here, there were some note cards and some pens. And if you're sitting by them or sitting on them, go and pass those down the aisle. And what I would challenge you to do is that I would challenge you to take that note card. And I, and I just put on here, people I'm praying for. I put on here, people I'm praying for. And, and all three of them are neighbors. All three of them are neighbors, and I just said one, two, and three. I said one family that lives next door to me, another family that used to live next door to me, and the third, a family that lives next door to us here in this community here where we're at the church. And the challenge, I think, for so many of us when we think about how we're going to invite people is that we jump to, what am I going to say? And the challenge that I think is really important for you and I is to start with prayer. Is to start with this idea of saying, God, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how the conversation is going to go. But God, I am praying for opportunity. And I'm praying for words. And so maybe as I was going through those four kind of cues, something is changing, something is breaking, something is missing, something is stirring. You had some names, some faces, some people that came to mind. Maybe you had some faces and you say, I need to learn their name first. But I see them all the time and I need to connect with them. I encourage you to write those, those names down. I would encourage you to, to begin to, to do this on a regular thing. I'm probably going to take a picture of, of this card, and I'm going to have it on my phone, and I'm going to refer to it. And I'm going to be doing some things on the, the Movement Church Next Steps Facebook page, which if you're not a part of and want to be, just let me know. You fill out a card in the back. We'd add you to that. It's kind of a private internal group. We do prayer requests and do some other communications about events and stuff like that. And so I'm going to, once a week, I'm going to be kind of talking about this and what this looks like and, and maybe trying to help us kind of pray through this together because this is where it has to start. 
It has to start with this idea that we pray, that we, we have this moment where we're writing these names down, we're committing them to memory, we're going to put them on our vanity, we're going to put them on our bathroom mirror, we're going to put them on our dashboard, whatever it is, we're going to take a picture, we're going to refer back to it, where we say, I am going to be praying for these people, this family, these people that I'm connecting with, that I can have that moment where I can extend that invitation. Because when Jesus encountered this woman at the well, he had every reason to overlook her. She was not part of the right tribe, the right family, the right ethnicity, the right group, the right religion. He was a man, she was a single woman. It's kind of awkward in today's day and age maybe at times, but this is taboo in that point. This is a woman that Jesus knows everything about. He knows that she is on man number six. That she has a reputation. That when the disciples come back, they're shocked at this. They're shocked at this whole scene. They, they can't believe it. They're afraid of scandal. They're afraid of impropriety. But what happens is that Jesus tells her all that she has ever done. She reveals some of her deepest secrets, and he offers her living water. And what does she do? It says that in her excitement, the woman ran back to the village and invited everyone to come and see for themselves. And many people from that village came and believed Jesus on that day. See, the truth is, you and I are just like that woman. We are just like this woman because what happens is that we have an experience with Jesus and we can't explain it, right? We have this moment where we say, I'm reading something in the Bible, this ancient book, some 2,000 plus years old, and there's something in there that speaks to me in a very personal and real level. You're, you're, you're in this moment where you're at church and you're singing out loud with a bunch of other people that you don't really sing out loud with. This is not something you do other than in the shower. And you feel this connection that is beyond just emotion with something deeper. You have a relationship with somebody who is a follower of Jesus, and they challenge you, and they encourage you. They don't just make you a better person. They bring you closer to what God intended. And you're experiencing grace, this forgiveness. You are freed up from all the past junk, which we all have a list a mile long. If we were under some sort of, uh, of system where God would punish us justly, none of us would be breathing today. If we were in this place where we said, this is like this holy place, and if I walked in, the, the rafters would collapse, like, none of us could be here. But if you experience grace, you've experienced forgiveness, and you can't really explain it because it doesn't make sense. It's absurd that the God of the universe would come in the form of a man. He'd be born to this middle-class at best family, to a teenage mom, and he would grow up, and he would be like this, this construction guy, this carpenter. He would work with his hands, and he would teach these incredible things and bring life and miracles and do all these incredible things, and then he was executed by the state and tortured beforehand. And the absurd thing is, the absurd thing is, is, that by itself, what love, what incredible teach, what incredible example for us, right? What, a, what an enlightened teacher. But then it goes further that Jesus being a great man, because he comes back from the dead. He comes back from the dead, and people see him, people eat meals with him, and he does things that are very, very human. He does things that are very much beyond our understanding, but he is there in the flesh and blood. And people have been telling the story over and over and over again, right? I don't understand it. I don't know how someone comes back from the dead. I, I don't know what it looks like for that to happen. I, I've never seen that before. It requires faith. But that woman, 
She runs back to town. She's still with guy number six. Her life is still a mess. She has had one conversation with the Son of God. There are a number of questions that she has no answer to, right? She goes and she tells the story. She becomes a preacher. This woman is commissioned. She is ordained. She is given the task of go and share this story. She is not qualified. She is not educated. She has not a way with words, and this is what she's given. Because Jesus offers her living water. That's my story, guys. My story is, is very simple. I was arrogant. I was cocky, and I thought it all together. And Jesus comes and laughs at that, but says, come on, man, you're all right anyway. He wrecked my life. He wrecked my life. I had plans. He wrecked it. I was not supposed to be doing this, according to my plans. He wrecked my life, and all the, all the challenge that was given to me, all the instruction that was given to me was to go tell the story. To go tell the story. And that is not exclusive for people who get paid by a church. That is given to anyone who says yes to Jesus. The band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a couple more songs here as we close out our time together. And one of the things that's going to happen during this next song is that we're going to open up these tables at the front. We're going to, you know, metaphorically open them up and allow you, invite you to come and participate in what's going on at those tables. So Jesus offers this living water. It's something that is beyond just quenching a thirst. And it's something that is, 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 is given constantly and continually, and we never thirst again. This is life. This is life. That Thursday night before Jesus dies on the cross, the next day before the Sunday after that where he rises from the dead, he gets together and he has a Passover meal. And he takes some bread, he takes some juice, and he says, hey, I'm redefining things here. I'm redefining things completely. No longer is this just a Passover Seder where we, we honor and remember the fact that, that God brought the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt into Israel and the, out of slavery. But this is now kind of a new agreement. This is a new covenant that builds on top of the old, doesn't get rid of it, but says, I'm going to extend it, I'm going to perfect it. And this new covenant, this new promise where God says, this is what I'm going to do, you can take it or leave it. It's not dependent on what you do with it, but here it is. It's simply this, that Jesus died for us and rose again for us. So there's bread over there. And if you're a follower of Jesus, in the moment when the band's playing, I'd invite you to come, you take that bread, and you dip it in the juice, which is representative of the blood of Jesus, and you eat it as a way of saying yes, as a way of saying, I am a part of this, a way of experiencing that living water. There's nothing special about those elements over there. There's nothing magical. In fact, I would, I would contend there's nothing even sacred about them by themselves. But when we put, our, put ourselves in this spot where we say we are experiencing this, we are honoring the sacrifice of Jesus, we are celebrating that death doesn't get the last word, there's something changes. There's something different. So that woman, she's revealed, she is exposed, she is vulnerable in front of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, clean up your life, leave guy number six. He doesn't say that you need to be an upstanding moral citizen. He says, here's some living water. 
You take this, you'll never thirst again. And what does she do? She goes and tells people, come and see. Come and see what this man, what this Messiah has done. And when we come to this table, we participate in that. So the band's going to play. Maybe you need some time. You need to write down some more names. You need to figure out who your three are that you're praying for. Maybe if you're in this spot, you're not a follower of Jesus. You need to, you need to kind of take a moment and think, what, what is it about this moment? What is it about this place and this time? that Why am I here? And if you're a follower of Jesus at that time, you can come up here and you can take of the bread and, and of the juice. And you can experience that living water. So if you're willing, if you're able, let's stand right where you're at. Let's go ahead and stand. Let me pray for us. And the tables are open to you. Father.